You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. All right, this is uh, Doug and Greg Stokes with Lanyap Podcast, Stokes Family Office production. We've got a special guest with us today, Jamal Ford. Jamal and his wife, Lena, are serial entrepreneurs here in New Orleans, starting with high-level speech and hearing, a couple other businesses. But the most recent one is drums, earphones, and there's an obvious connection between a high-level speech and hearing and drums. And I'd love to learn about that sort of evolution. But maybe, Jamal, if you want to start with the beginning with you and Lena and how high-level came to fruition and ultimately the mission of high-level speech and hearing and how it led to drums. Of course. Well, um, Greg and Doug, thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Yeah, so me and Lena, we started dating like in 2007. We both went to Nickel State University. Lena originally was going to Xavier University, but Hurricane Katrina happened, and she transitioned over to Nickel State University. And so we were dating, we kind of casually, she was working at Blockbuster at the time, so I would go in and rent video games and different things like that. Um, I tried to look cool while I was in the store. And, um, you know, uh, so one day we wound up um, going, it was actually Valentine's Day, which is the irony of it. It was Valentine's Day. I didn't have anybody to go anywhere with, and she was still working. It was like 10 p.m. So I was like, you want to go out to grab something to eat? And she was like, sure. And so we wound up going to Waffle House and kind of like the rest is history. So, yeah. So we wound up dating for a couple years and you know how it is when you're young breaking up dating breaking up dating that type of thing and ironically during that time we would do we would do these things like my mom has two daycares and um she's been an entrepreneur my whole life and we would have like these state fairs or these uh parish fairs and me and Lane would like put together baskets and sell baskets at these uh, fairs and different things like that. And uh, we would throw events and stuff like that. So I was working at East Jefferson Hospital probably around 2013, 2014, while Lena was um, getting her doctorate at WashU. And so she got her doctorate at WashU and went to the normal working field like everybody typically does. And probably like a month in, she came in to me, she was like, yeah, I don't think I can work for anybody else. And I was like, I definitely understood it, you know, coming from an entrepreneurial family myself. And she was like, well, you think I can start my own clinic? And I was like, well, of course, you know, I'm, I'm here to support you with that. And so she wound up, I'm starting high-level speech and hearing center by doing a couple pitch competitions and winning money from those pitch competitions. So she won like $5,000 doing those pitch competitions. And every Thursday she would go out doing a dumpster diving and she would go and people would put stuff out in their front yards, like old chairs, um, old sofas. She would go and grab these things and kind of reupholster them, you know, have like, like her apartment, like all with all kind of uh, the tinning to recolor the, the upholstery and different things like that. And we uh, wound up getting our first clinic in Harahan. So we got the lease. And when we got the lease, we were in there rolling carpet, getting a whole bunch of used items. I never forget our first, our first sound booth was a used sound booth. Now you can imagine this is a huge metal booth. 
So this guy bring and to take it apart, you have to like bend it and things. So we get this huge metal blueprint, and it's like all bent out of shape and broke up. And it was like it had to be like two thousand pounds. It took us like maybe sixteen hours to put this booth together. Finished at midnight, and I had to be at work at like four thirty in the morning. I was very upset. <laughs> you know the sacrifices that you make as an entrepreneur are kind of unique um, to those things. Um, so that's kind of like the beginning. And it's been a very rapid growth period since then. So what's the current state at high level speech and hearing? What do you guys do? How many people do you service? And how big's the clinic? Yeah, so high level speech and hearing center. We actually started off as an adult clinic, just seeing adults, but then so many people came to us. Pediatricians wanted us to see kids. We we really uh, followed the lean business model. And so we were like, sure, we'll see kids. And then the parents were like, well, do you guys do speech therapy? It was like, we don't do speech therapy. And we started referring, but there was like a year-long waiting list. And so it was like, well, we'll get speech therapists. And so we wound up getting speech therapists. And uh, fast forward to today, I would say from 2016, we've seen maybe about 45,000 patients in the city of New Orleans over the course of that time. Every year, we maybe see about 10 to 15,000 students, either daycares, charter schools, other schools. We work with summer camps, different entities, just to help identify kids who may need hearing or speech solutions. That's amazing. And it's an amazing service for people that wouldn't have access to it before you guys really came along. And I remember speaking with you before about the wait lists and the demand for this type of service. And, you know, you're a kid with some issues, whether it's hearing or speech, or they're probably, you know, there's some correlation between those two. And, you know, before you guys came along, there was really no access for some of these kids to be able to, to get any level of service. And so it's an amazing accomplishment what you and Lena have been able to do. And I think, you know, one of the great things about being an entrepreneur, it's a blessing and a curse. But one of the blessings is that you're always thinking about how you can help or improve upon other things that are out there. And one of those has been the headset market, you know, the the classic improvement upon now everybody's got AirPods. Is there anything better out there? And, and maybe talk about, and I see Greg wearing AirPods right now, so we got to get him some, some drums, but talk about the genesis of drums and what you guys are doing there. Yeah. So first of all, to your point, Doug, if Lena was here, she would definitely call you out about your AirPods. <laughs> she would definitely be like, what do you have in your ear right now? That's how she would be. You know, I would say this, Doug, um, as an entrepreneur, people don't, most people don't know this. As an entrepreneur, what we are, we're problem solvers. We typically identify what a problem is and we try to come up with a solution. So working in high-level speech and hearing center, doing hearing tests and identifying people with hearing loss, as you know, New Orleans is a huge music city, very big. So we see so many musicians that come through our door. Me, myself, I actually play bass guitar. I played bass professionally for years. And I still play and get paid to play bass weekly and different things like that. So I know a lot of musicians. I have a lot of musician friends out there. And so musicians were coming in and they needed what's called in-air monitors. These in-air monitors what you typically see in the ears of artists when they're performing on stage. And that allows them to be able to hear what they want to hear clearly instead of having to just depend on what's the sound out in the stage. So they would come to us, they would get the custom molds done. 
we would send these off to other companies and they would get them in from these other companies. And then about a year later, they would come back to us. And this kept happening over and over and over again. And these people, they were spending like six, $700 a pop minimum uh, on these headphones because they were custom headphones. And me and Lena were like, well, what are you guys doing? And it was like, well, they keep going out, so we keep having to buy them. And so I want to say around 2018, 2019, me and Lena said, well, maybe we should probably try to help musicians uh, do something with any of our monitors. And so, but we were doing so well, and we still are doing well with High Level Speech and Hearing Center, that um, it was kind of on the back burner until March of 2020, when the pandemic hit and like everything stopped, right? And so when the pandemic hit and everything stopped, High Level Hearing was actually able to still see patients, which was a blessing for us. But at the same time, we had more time to focus on doing other projects. And so that's when we came back to the idea of doing what's called email monitors for musicians. So once we created the actual email monitor for musicians and the musicians loved it, we also realized we had a ton of regular patients that were coming in and were having issues with their AirPods, like the AirPods were falling out or they were breaking or they were having allergic reactions to them and different stuff like that. And we were like, it clicked in our heads. We were like, producers are in the studio and you can imagine a producer in the studio. He has all these speakers everywhere. He's like mixing and mastering the music, trying to make sure it sounds great. And then we're taking all that great sound and trying to bring it down to one little small AirPod, one little small device and trying to make all that great sound come through that device. And so that's when me and Layla decided, okay, well, how can we take drums and make it for the masses for everyday people? And so that's when we decided to make drums Bluetooth. And when we made it Bluetooth, because of the symmetry of it, it also allows for it not to fall out of people's ear. So when people are working out or running or jogging, they love it because they don't have to worry about it falling out. They can do jump rope, do these different things that they normally couldn't do with AirPods when they were working out. So problem solving is kind of how we got to high level, how we got to drums, you know. What's the sound quality difference between drums and an AirPod? Yeah, so it's actually pretty, I'm going to give you the simple answer and then I can give you the more advanced answer as well. Simple answer is this. AirPods have two drivers, so they have one speaker in each ear. Drums has five speakers in each ear. And so, as you know, 10 is better than two. So, you know, <laughs> that's the simplest answer. You know you're going to get better sound quality with 10 speakers. But a little bit more complex answer would be typically what headphones try to do um, when they are one speaker is anything below what's called 30 hertz is uh, what's called white noise. And I know we've all kind of heard what white noise kind of sounds like. And what headphones try to do is they try to blend sound with white noise in order to make them sound bigger or sound fuller. This allows headphone companies to save money by making you think you're getting a huge sound when you're really not getting a huge sound. But being a musician, we can't use those because that white noise gets in the way of us hearing the quality of sound. And so with drums, there is no sound underneath 30 hertz that's white noise. It's all high quality sound in the full spectrum of 30 hertz to 25k hertz. And you can hear everything with great clarity. 
Can you talk about just the general challenges that y'all have? I mean, you started a business, high level speech and hearing, where you went from zero patients seen to 45,000 and rapid growth and challenge, obviously challenges, not only just growing the business, but also managing people and things like that. What's the difference in that level of complexity and challenge compared to launching a consumer products company? That's a very complex question, but that's a very dynamic question um, and a great question to ask. You know, um, I try to keep it short. High level hearing is a service-based product or a service-based company. So it's really about customer service, customer relations, making sure you're giving people quality service, making sure that you have a liaison, or making sure that you are constantly uh, communicating effectively with your community partners as far as what we do at high-level hearing. Even when we see patients in the clinic, it's always constant communication because not only health-wise, but in order to be profitable, people actually got to show up to their appointments. And typically, every clinic in the world has about a 50% no-show rate. So if you put 40 people to come in, only about 20 or less are going to show up but you're still um, staffing for 40 people just in case 40 people show up. So as you know, that can definitely affect the margins. And then we have something that we call the Great Purge of 2019. In 2018, we were really knocking it out of the park. And so we went from 10 employees, it was like rapid, rapid growth. And we were like hiring people left and right, trying to get people in the door trained to be able to provide these services. It was like trying to build a bigger house, like trying to build um, maybe a 10-bedroom house on a foundation built for a three-bedroom house, right? And so we started having issues, cultural issues within our clinic where people weren't treating people the way they wanted to be treated. And so we maybe let go at that particular time, maybe 20 people. <laughs> and then we like let go half of the staff and we closed our clinic for like one month and we did a culture training. And what we did at that time was we established our values as a company. We established what our company culture was as a company. And that was like the biggest turning point for us in 2019, because when we established what our company culture was and what our company values were, it allowed us to be able to hire people based on those same values and same culture, and then we can train them on the skills that they actually need to do the work. And those same values translate over to drugs from a standpoint of um, holistic health, making sure that we preserve people's hearing through the long haul, still being community-based, but we still donate funds from drums to community projects and different things like that, and so forth and so on. So High level is service-based and drums is product-based. Product-based is very different. And you're learning every day about product-based. Being product-based, it's really about building community. And when you're trying to build community, it's more or less like building people are zealots of your product that's going to go out and tell other people. As much marketing, Facebook advertisement, these things you can do, still word of mouth is always going to be the thing that's really going to push your product to the next level. So you run your ads, you run your different sales things. When people do buy drums, you do need to re-engage them to see how they feel about drums, 
see what they would want to happen with drums, and that makes them feel a part of it, and that makes them want to tell other people about drums, and you build a bigger and bigger community. Just looking from the drums perspective, the easiest way to really get some traction is going direct to consumer and building those those zealots and building brand that way. How do you transition and what's that process like moving from that direct to consumer to retail outlets or distribution in general? Yeah. So B2C has in the recent years have become business to consumer has been very huge with um, social media, social media marketing and those particular avenues where you can pretty much run algorithms to target the people who are looking for your products. So many companies typically start doing B2C and they stay at B2C because it allows not to have other companies eat into their profit margins. Because most of the time, if you work with a B2B like a Target or Best Buy, you have to negotiate points. You have to negotiate these different things. And distribution is very important because if you don't get the product at a certain period of time, they can take certain points with a cut into your profit margins and things like that. So when we first started drums, obviously we started B2C to just bring awareness to the product and sell product. When you're trying to get your product into the stores, obviously you can do your own outreach and things. But what we do as drums is we work with um, a third party company who is familiar with getting product into stores and they kind of help us set drums up to be prepared to be in store. So they kind of know what Target looks for. They know what Best Buy looks for. They know what Walmart looks for. They kind of make sure that drums has everything in place. So that way when we present to those stores, those stores will want to put us in their store. What was the R&D process like for drums? And you mentioned before that like Lana would, like when you guys were first getting off the ground, she would go dumpster diving and look for furniture on the side of the people's driveways and on the street and everything and clean it up. And so that she has this natural entrepreneurial spirit, as do you as well from, from your childhood, working alongside state fairs, et cetera. So talk to me about the R&D process for drums and also how that natural entrepreneurial spirit that you guys both have do you see that in that R&D process and in the day-to-day activities at both high level and at drums? Yeah, so R&D for drums, have, the irony of it is, has been going on, I would say that drums started in 2020, but R&D for drums have been going on for years from the fact that I'm a musician, I use it in monitors all the time, and I'm always trying new things, and I've always been a person of making my own stuff, you know what I mean? So I like to make my own products, if you will. So it came the combination of me understanding the frequencies that people want to hear, being a musician, and Lena, being an audiologist, understanding the frequencies that people tend to lose over the periods of time. And so that's kind of where my world and her world kind of came together, and us being able to make a quality product where not only are we giving people great quality sound, but we're actually preserving their hearing for years to come. And so with R&D for drugs, it really came from me trying a lot of EDM monitors, knowing what's good, what was not good, laying a kind of running tests on the EDM monitors that I was buying, seeing where the frequencies were dropping off, and her knowing what my hearing quality 
hearing frequencies were and trying to figure out what was the best frequencies, studying drivers, understanding how drivers work. And so ultimately, when you get into something like drums, you'll typically find a company who can actually create the product for you. And then, you know, you take all the research that you've done, all the parts that you know are going to be the best quality parts for the headphone. And you pretty much tell them what you need them to do to put that together to create the product. So one thing we haven't really touched on that and relates to just growing your businesses is, uh, is Joseph Ford Enterprises. And, you know, it's kind of the third leg of the stool in terms of you and Lena building. I want to spend a minute talking about Joseph Ford Enterprises. And then I want to close with, you are very active in the New Orleans community. So I want to make sure that we touch on living and working and growing businesses in New Orleans and, you know, how how you experience the city and, and, you know, it's positives and negatives, but maybe let's get outside the drums and high level speech and hearing business building and talk about what you guys are doing at Joseph Ford Enterprises. Yeah. So Joseph Ford Enterprises really came from us. As you go, as you learn, we always say sometimes you pay for education. And so Joseph Ford kind of came about from us needing to purchase a building. We purchased our first building. And obviously wanting to make sure that we realize that we need to kind of separate initially our real estate from high level speech and hearing center and making sure that they're two separate entities. And so we decided to start Joseph Ford Enterprises. And when we started Joseph Ford Enterprises, it was really more or less real estate based. And we pretty much purchased properties outside of the commercial properties that we purchased. We purchase residential properties and put them on Section 8 because, once again, we're community-based people. We try to give the community quality housing and different things like that. And so Joseph Ford Enterprises was a combination of us really learning about real estate, wanting to get into real estate, but then also still trying to give back to the community in a way and understanding that food, water, shelter will always be necessity no matter what goes on in the world. So trying to make sure that we are also in that uh, sector as well. And before we hit record, Jamal was saying that Lane is at one of the fourplexes right now, painting and getting it ready. And so it reminds me of the uh, the comment related to dumpster diving and getting old furniture. Do whatever you can do to increase profit margins, make something look nice and take one step forward and it leads to success. So let's circle back. And basically what we've talked about, Jamal, in the past is, you know, in business building, there are a lot of different ways to make money. And I think high level is one way, drums is another, but also just, you know, taking the proceeds from hopefully successes there and building net worth outside of those businesses is a really important concept that we've talked about in the past. I want to talk about New Orleans because New Orleans, there's so many great and bad things about this city and and we're both business owners operating and living in the city from an entrepreneur's perspective what is your take on building businesses in this city and how do you like to give back yeah so i think that we still live obviously in new orleans but we have also moved to atlanta as well so we're kind of back and forth between new orleans and atlanta when it comes to building businesses in new orleans i really believe that you have to know the city, you have to know the needs of the city, know the people of the city to know what to provide for the people of the city. It's also important to go beyond the city of New Orleans to see what other communities are doing or what other cities are doing 
and then see if you can bring some of those things back to the city of New Orleans to help advance what's going on here in New Orleans. So I think it's really a combination of those two things. I do believe personally that it is important to master something in New Orleans and then transition it to the masses. And it's from sheer volume of numbers. In the city of New Orleans, I mean, in the state of Louisiana, I believe we probably only have like one billionaire, if I'm not mistaken. And that's really because we don't have enough people in the state to actually help generate those type of funds, if that kind of makes sense to you. Whereas you see the bigger cities like Texas or California will have a lot more billionaires in those cities, and there's a lot more transactions happening in those areas. So my thoughts is to always create in New Orleans, see if you can provide for the city of New Orleans and give back, and see if that same structure will translate over into other areas of the world. I always felt like New Orleans was a couple of years behind you know, other major cities in terms of economic progress. And so we've always looked at other other cities like the you know San Francisco's L.A., Atlanta, Chicago, New York, et cetera, Miami, and seeing what businesses are doing there and what could we take from or learn from those businesses and use it here in the city and for the local people. And I think that that's been a a really good learning experience for us is basically if New Orleans is going to be coming up on some of these innovations in the next few years, how can we get ahead of it by looking at what other cities are doing? Can I ask you something, Doug? Yeah. Just based off of that, let me ask you, how do you feel about business in New Orleans and and growing a business in New Orleans based on your experiences, based on the people you talk to? So I think New Orleans is a really small town. You basically know everybody here if you've been born and raised here. So I think it's a great place to start a business and grow a business because it's, especially in the services side, because services is so relationship-based. And so if you have you know, a background here and obviously you have to have a good reputation, then it's easy to grow and get recognized. But there's also a lot of issues with the city. I think that, you know, whether it's infrastructure, getting people to move here, the the education system, you know, business, uh, just big business coming here. I think from a broad perspective, the city, it's a difficult place. It's a frustrating place to live because there's so many great qualities about the city. And it's such a better city in terms of culture, people, music, food, et cetera than really anywhere else in the country, but specifically in the Southeast. And you see so much potential, but you see other cities that have no real culture getting these big businesses move there, all this money that moves there. So it's frustrating from a resident's perspective, but in terms of starting and growing a business, especially in the services side, if you're good at your job and you have a good reputation and you know people, then I think it's easy to to grow. What do you think about that? I agree with that too. I think the when you said, Doug, about things in New Orleans are a couple of years behind. So if you emulate those businesses that are in other cities that are doing things that are at the cutting edge, and you bring that offering to New Orleans as well, too, which is what's kind of what you guys are doing, Jamal, as well, then I think that that's something that you can beat out the competition. I guess based off you saying that, I know you guys are maybe familiar with um, Disney World and Disney World kind of having their area of Orlando. and they kind of operate in a different way in that area as far as taxes and they have their own fire station, their own like police department and different things like that. But also 
Disney generates so much money for the Florida and even Orlando in that. Do you believe the city of New Orleans should consider trying to do that or trying to find a company that's maybe a vertical of what we do here that may want a section of New Orleans to have them do something like that, you know? Yeah, I think anything to, I don't know if it's possible. I remember reading about that because the governor of Florida was threatening to revoke the tax status of, I think it's called Ready Creek or something like that. But yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think anything to, it's a really competitive market for like where companies are going to move their people. And like we're competing, we're, you know, an hour flight from Austin, Dallas, Atlanta, Houston, San Antonio, you know, Miami, it's like all around us. It's so concentrated. And so you got to do something to, and we're in a hurricane alley too. So it's like, you got the, you got the (laughs) hurricane issue. And so you like, there's a company that has a bunch of people on the ground here in New Orleans. Do they want to move their whole workforce here with the idea that maybe for three or four weeks out of the year, you may have to relocate everybody to another city because of the hurricane issue. So I think there's got to be some sort of incentive to get big companies here because they could easily go to Houston or Atlanta or wherever. It's close by. We have the port, which is awesome, but there's no like major airport hub here either. I don't know if it means like creating a special tax district for a big company, but there's got to be some sort of economic incentive. And maybe that like means moving more businesses to like the North Shore or something like that, where you don't have as much hurricane risk as New Orleans, but it's at least geographically close. But yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's always going to be relying upon tourism and hospitality and you know all the culture here. But if you can get businesses to buy into you know what the city's doing and the progress of the city, it would be an amazing thing because there's nowhere else like it, at least in the America, nowhere else like this city. Yeah, I agree with you, Doug. I think that like the city of, as you know, Houston. Houston is very interesting because it's the fourth biggest city in the U.S. and but what typically what it does is it takes the zip codes of the cities outside of Houston, like the main uh, part of Houston, it'll be like Clear Lake slash Houston. So it's like two cities. And that's how Houston becomes the fourth biggest city because it takes right. multiple zip codes. But I say that to say, I think that what you're saying, like if New Orleans partnered with like a Covington and agreed to pay part of the taxes because Covington maybe has a lot of land for a company to come in to be able to build there, then it would help the economics of the city of New Orleans as well. And hopefully can kind of people may want to live, you know, around the area. So, yeah, I think that's um, a great idea. I mean, part of the problem with this city compared to Houston is it's pretty landlocked. I mean, you got the lake on the North Shore and you got the Gulf on the South and you got the river in between. And so I think it's I think it's difficult to get a huge influx of people here and business and especially businesses that require a lot of land. But I don't know what the incentive would have to be to get businesses to move here. And maybe it just ends up being that New Orleans is very hospitality driven, which I think it would be fine. I think you just got to figure out the crime problem and the infrastructure problem if that's going to be the case, because people are going to stop coming here if you know those two problems don't get solved. Oh, I agree with you. And that's kind of what I was saying more like if it was something similar to like a vertical, if we are in hospitality, if there is a company that's also a major hospitality company that needs, you know, space, 
that can come in and we give them, similar to Disney, yeah, a right. certain area where they can control them, it'll kind of parallel what we're already doing, you know, so. I think it also starts and stops with the people and things like you and Lena are doing in terms of giving back. And I know that you both have been, you know, very, very involved in the community and in making sure whether it's, you know, youth education or Section 8 housing, things like that, just giving people a better chance to improve their lives. And then they can pay that forward to the next, either their peers or the next generation. That's really how this city gets out of its rut right now is, you know, individuals like you guys just uh, trying to make a good impact. So, I mean, from a systemic standpoint, I definitely agree. We try our best to help with early intervention, early education and those particular things. But I think from the standpoint of when it comes to partnering with the potential company who may want to help build the infrastructure of New Orleans, you definitely want to not only bring that company in, but you probably want to partner with the local colleges and local schools to make sure that the training associated with those schools and those colleges coincide with maybe what that company is to know that that company can't have a pipeline of people in the area that can work there. I think that's a huge piece that we didn't even touch on is a great insight that if you don't have the workforce and the education, that pipeline of workers, then it's difficult to bring a bunch of jobs here that unless you have qualified people. But anyway, Jamal, I really want to say thank you for joining us today. I think it's amazing to learn about not just entrepreneurship, but growth in the city of New Orleans and for those who are native New Orleanians, there's a lot of negative news that's been going on in the last year just related to crime and infrastructure and whatever. But when you actually talk to individuals about what they're building here and makes you optimistic about the future. And so, and then you're one of those people, Jamal. So I want to say thank you. I'm glad I know you and I'm sure we'll catch up soon again, but thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you, Greg. Thanks, Doug. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office and produced by Reverb. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.